One of the things that I'm learning more and more about is the, uh, the localized uh, and very decentralized approach uh, and what the future of that is. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. We also spotlight recent news and bring you different voices from the CEA team. Our main feature on today's podcast is a conversation that our Director of Government Relations, Michael Powell, had with the Honorable Amarjeet Sohi, Canada's Minister of Natural Resources. But before we get to his conversation with Minister Sohi, Michael joins me to talk about the news. Good day, Francis. How are you? I'm well. Welcome back, Michael. Uh, Yes. So let's start uh, by actually looking a bit into the past. We're going to play a clip. Shall we play a game? Oh, <laughs> I think I missed him. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play global thermonuclear war. That is, of course, from the 1983 Matthew Broderick movie, War Games. Uh, it was one of uh, an early, it was actually just before his uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where he played a uh, young kid that's too smart for his own good, that inadvertently hacks into uh, the U.S. Department of Defense and starts uh, nearly starts a thermonuclear war, as you heard there. Uh, the uh, though exactly not news, it was news to me, and I think it's worth sharing, that that film is what inspired Ronald Reagan to increase cybersecurity practices in the United States. He, really? It's, uh, yeah, oh. the movie's 36 years old now. It was released mm-hmm. in June 1983. Mm-hmm. He watched it in the White House in the screening room, and then a few days later at a meeting with senior congressional officials and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, went through the plot, and amid all the eye-rolling on uh, <laughs> uh, the absent-minded president's uh, thoughts, I said, is this really a problem? And the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, John Vesey, came back a few years later, a few days later, and said, actually, it's worse than we think. Uh, and uh, I know, Francis, you're very into all the cybersecurity stuff that our sector is involved in, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a, a major focus. And uh, apparently, uh, in the early 80s, it took Ronald Reagan relaxing with some popcorn and an early Matthew Broderick movie to inspire some of the work that we are doing uh, today to make sure that uh, malevolent or perhaps inadvertent actors don't get into the the bad stuff. The 36th anniversary. Cool. Uh, yes, it's an odd number, but it is a, a, a perfect square, I guess. Uh, we're, but beyond, uh, we'll, we'll stay a little more local this time and look to uh, an Ontario high school. John Paul II High School in London, Ontario, mm-hmm. has recently announced that they are going to go carbon neutral with a $9.7 million project, half funded by the Department of Natural Resources, uh, here uh, for, uh, that will see them build a, a geothermal field, solar panels, 
as well as some microgrid and storage that will make the uh, high school essentially carbon neutral uh, by 2021. The only place they'll be using natural gas is in the science labs and uh, to cook the food. Wow. Okay. So entirely carbon neutral. So you said geothermal. For heating and cooling. Yeah. Uh, all sorts components? of solar panels. Of okay. course, high schools have lots of roof. Yep. And then a microgrid and some storage to make sure that storage. they take advantage of that. Right. The upside of uh, a high school is that most of what they use is computers and lights. So mm -hmm. the, I, the opportunities to, uh, and they have relatively short days too, mm -hmm. so you mm -hmm. can get a lot of stuff in there that keeps things going. But we'll see what the future of that is. Uh, Canada is spending a lot of effort thinking about electrification right now. Right. Uh, a lot of it focused on transportation. We all mm -hmm. sort of understand where personal vehicles are going. But to really bring ourselves into a, a carbon neutral nation, part of that will be rethinking how we do buildings and right. uh, projects like this will be part of that solution. So a critical role that Enercan is playing um, in, in funding uh, this demonstration program. And that uh, speaks to some of the conversation I had with Minister So. Well, with that, Michael, um, I, I, I will thank you for bringing some interesting news to us. And also thank you for, for um, uh, doing the interview with Minister, Minister Sohi. Uh, so let's listen to your conversation with the Enercan, uh, Enercan Minister Emergy Sohi. It was recorded at CEA's town hall event on June 4th uh, of this year at the National Arts Centre here in Ottawa. Thanks again, Michael. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm indeed uh, honored and, uh, and very happy to be here to engage in this uh, conversation about uh, the role that your industry has been playing and the role that your industry will continue to play to help us uh, achieve the objectives of uh, making our communities more cleaner and greener. So thank you so much for having me. So June is a National Electricity Month. Last yeah. night at the Museum of Science and Technology, we had a, a little event that looked at four different futures about what the sector and how Canadians use power might look like in the next 20 years. Um, everyone has opinions on this, but where do you see uh, the electricity sector going and, and what is your government thinking about when it's looking not just uh, you know, past the fall in the next four years, but where do you see our sector in 20 years and, and how are you helping and what, are you see what do you think needs to happen for it to move forward? Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, if, uh, if I, I just want to take a moment to uh, thank each and every one of you in uh, this room. Uh, because you have been at the forefront of, uh, you know, making sure that the energy we use is uh, is clean. The energy that is required for uh, the prosperity that Canadians have been able to enjoy and they will continue to enjoy for for foreseeable future. And uh, without your work, uh, I think uh, uh, the kind of prosperity that we have seen is not. Uh, not possible. So thank you to each and every one of you. I was in uh, Vancouver uh, last week uh, at the uh, Clean Energy Ministerial and, in, uh, and Mission Innovation uh, mm -hmm. Conference where uh, uh, close to uh, 25 member countries came together and we were able to highlight some of the good work that you have been uh, doing and also talk about our energy vision. Within that energy vision is uh, how do we electrify our, uh, uh, our current processes and, uh, uh, and use more electricity? Because uh, as you know, I'm pretty, I'm, you, you know more than I do that uh, 
81% uh, of the electricity generated in, uh, in Canada come from non-emitting sources. And we should be proud of that. And we got to do more, which we absolutely are committed uh, to doing so. I think that really is a good story that we were able to tell the world. Uh, and uh, as well, the efforts underway to further electrify our uh, uh, our systems as well as the use. Uh, you know, I, we see a lot of potential in transportation, for example, in, um, in buildings, uh, uh, as well as uh, as we phase out uh, coal-fired uh, uh, electricity generation uh, investments into, uh, in, into solar, into, into wind, and geothermal, and tidal uh, uh, power. I think those are the kind of things that we see moving forward into the, into the future that we need to continue to work together on with the industry. Well, we're going to pick on every single one of those, I think, over yeah. the course of the next little bit. Uh, that's why. That's, yeah, that's a pretty good. You, you've been stern at my. Yeah, yeah. You the, told me to highlight. Oh, those, those in are my the things. Question, right? so, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you have to learn to take some credit. Yeah. The uh, the. But I, I think one of the big things that uh, your department over the last uh, number of years, over the, since uh, you formed government, has been uh, promoting really innovative little projects like smart grid, uh, rolling out electric vehicle infrastructure. What have you learned as we've started that process and, and where do you, how do you see those transitioning from uh, you know, pilot projects at an experimental stage to something that can be implemented more broadly that will you know, make it easier for Canadians to use electricity differently and for our sector to help Canadians uh, do so? I would say that the, one of the things that I'm learning more and more about is the uh, the localized uh, and very decentralized approach uh, and what the future of that is. Uh, as you know, we have uh, more than 200 uh, isolated northern rural communities that are not even connected to the grid system, and they solely rely on, uh, on diesel. Uh, and as you know, diesel is uh, not only bad for, your, for the environment, but it's also bad for your health. Um, so how do we work with those indigenous communities or, or other rural uh, communities? And we were able to highlight a number of projects uh, to, the, uh, to the SEM members in Vancouver. I think that's where the future lies. It's not only about generation at local level, but it's also empowerment to the, uh, uh, to the, to the community. So I see, see a lot of, uh, lot of potential in, uh, in, uh, in, in that, that area. Another aspect is I think as consumers, uh, if we have the right tools that we can actually use to monitor our own consumption and, uh, uh, and see where we can make changes. So I think with technology available these days and some of the, uh, uh, the work that, uh, that industry has been doing, I think so empowerment to the consumers but also localized uh, uh, generation that empowers communities in, uh, and create local jobs. I think uh, there, there's a lot of potential in that. It, it's interesting you talk about uh, remote communities. And yeah. I've, you know, over my career, I've had a chance to visit some, and I'm, I'm sure you've been to a much longer list. Uh, but uh, you know, the availability of diesel and getting it there you know, beyond the environmental things have a real cost, limits opportunity. One of the things our sector talks about, and uh, optimistically, is the prospect of, of small modular reactors and other technologies which are 
uh, you know, still at the you know best case a, a few years out. I know there's been a, a roadmap from the government to help modernize them. Where, where do you see that transition going? What's the next step uh, beyond on, on the road to technology that has that opportunity to empower some of these communities and resource development op yeah. opportunities? We we see a lot of potential. Uh, as you know, nuclear is uh, is still remains controversial. Mm -hmm. I think the application of SMRs can help us. Uh, uh, deal with some of that fear uh, that people uh, uh, have, uh, uh, whether it's perceived or or real, because the uh, uh, the local application in industrial settings, for example, mm -hmm. if uh, uh, if you're able to utilize that and test that technology and and commercialize in uh, in industrial settings, so just the potential of uh, you know if you were able to use that to generate electricity for oil sands project, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not only able to uh, make it cleaner, but also you increase the reliability. And uh, I think those are the ideas that we think we need to continue to support to uh, test and, uh, and develop and, uh, and commercialize. And we are very, I am actually excited about, uh, uh, about uh, the, uh, the potential. Another example I can give you, other than the SMRs, how how your sector can actually help uh, decarbonize uh, the oil and gas sector. One project that we are supporting in in, in partnership with the province of British Columbia mm -hmm. is the uh, the the Peace River, no, the Peace Peace Region uh, 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 electricity transmission uh, build out uh, that allows uh, the 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 LNG sector and the gas sector to use electricity instead of uh, uh, you know be, uh, the, the traditional uh, uh, sources and, and I think we see the potential in 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 that and it then again it reduces the emissions help you de decarbonize another example I can give you is working with Ontario uh, in in the water water what the, the they working with indigenous communities mm -hmm. where they're co-owners of the uh, of the uh, of the power line and the and the generation uh, and that connected close to more than 20 communities indigenous communities that were off grid now they're connected or will be connected right i think those are the kind of potential we see that uh, not only helps local but also helps with the uh, with the reduction of emissions. Yeah. We're, we're very proud as a sector to have lots of examples of those across Canada, of those partnerships with indigenous communities, which you know gives equity and, and helps build that relationship. Let's, let's talk about electrification. Uh, I think there's two parts of it. One is how we produce power, and the second is how people use it. And we'll go in that order. The, uh, I'm, we're very happy to, and I'm glad you led with it, so it means I don't have to work it in the same way, but we're very happy to boast that you know more than 80% of the power produced in Canada is non-emitting as a sector. Since 2005, we've reduced GHG emissions by 30%, which you know is pretty good. Uh, but th that last, you know, 18, 19% is a challenge. That it's regionally focused in Atlantic Canada, where there's you know less hydro and less gas in uh, in the Prairie provinces, where there is a, a higher use of uh, thermal things like coal. And I know we're, as a sector, working to transition away from it, but there's a, a challenge and a complexity to that. What, what, what do you see as the role of government and, and how do you see the next uh, you know, 11 years progressing as we you know, basically change the wheels on the car as, as we move along in those areas? I think the, the number of things that uh, we, we need to do, uh, I'll come to the, uh, 
to the generation and uh, uh, but first I think as we transition uh, away from uh, coal we need to make sure that the workers that are being impacted by the transition and the communities that are impacted by the transition are properly supported. Because there's always a risk that when you leave people behind and people see transition impacting their lives and their future and taking opportunities away from them, uh, then they will not support the change that you, want to that you want to implement. So I think it is very important from a social po policy point of view that if we want to build more greener communities, more sustainable communities, and reduce emissions, uh, uh, and, and, and then you need to make sure that those workers are supported, that new opportunities are created. And that is coupled with where those opportunities are going to be, right? So if you can... Um, have more solar power generation. And uh, I was in my home province uh, announcing a project working uh, with the local Calgary-based company uh, that are testing uh, two-sided solar panels, for example, to capture energy from both sides. Not only increases efficiency, but 200 jobs in a rural community. And those 200 jobs for that community means a lot mm -hmm. because the population is small and they probably, they're more important for those, that community than maybe 2,000 jobs in an urban setting, mm -hmm. right, where other opportunities exist. Uh, working with, uh, and working in Nova Scotia, testing of uh, tidal power. I think that we see, we potential in that. Uh, again, you know, we were uh, in uh, back home in Alberta working with another local company for potential of a geothermal, um, which not only have the, because uh, the, uh, you have like provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan, a lot of expertise in drilling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and why would you not transfer that over to a new technology, right? I think, the, the right? idea, right? So, uh, and the, the uh, uh, another example I can give you is the, uh, uh, the in the, uh, uh, another example, in, in same example, mm -hmm. a, a kind of investment in um, in Saskatchewan. We are we are making. I think that's where the uh, uh, the potential lies in in solar, in in wind, in geothermal, and uh, and, and tidal and SMRs. So, so let's, let's talk about how. Uh, other sectors can decarbonize. And that's going to be with the focus of a couple of our panels this afternoon. I think people have sort of figured out personal vehicles. It seems that I think everyone's next car is probably going to be electric and that, or you know, maybe the next next car. But what about the, you know, the other big emitters in the transportation sector that are you know, a little harder to solve? So big trucks or, or shipping or uh, you know th those sorts of vehicles. What's what's the next step for electrifying those other very large parts of the transportation sector, which are are still emitting and often with very different fuels, when we see with personal vehicles. Yeah, just on the personal vehicles, I want to share with you the uh, uh, the announcement uh, that was made in Budget 2019, uh, where we are actually uh, uh, increasing the deployment of uh, charging stations. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to empower people to make those choices. Yeah. Uh, if people worry about range anxiety, if they want to go from one city to the other, and uh, they worry about whether they're going to be able to charge uh, their vehicle in an in a, in a efficient, fast 
fast way, then they're not going to make that choice, right? Uh, it's difficult because uh, convenience, we are used to being, <laughs> convenience is very important for people, right? Uh, I, I, I think, uh, so we, our goal is to build close to 20,000 uh, uh, electric vehicle charging uh, stations. Another uh, aspect of Budget 2019 is uh, making the, uh, the, creating incentives. So if you're going to buy electric vehicle, uh, you can get up to five thousand uh, dollars in in uh, in a rebate from the from the federal government that uh, reduces the cost of the electric vehicle and makes uh, uh, for middle class Canadians to make that choice. Right? I think that on the on the commercial vehicles, uh, we absolutely want to explore options working with you. Uh, if you are testing some technologies, how, what, are, what are the potential? I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for, for my department to work with your association to, uh, to explore. I know we had a session in, um, in Vancouver on, um, uh, with this push for um, uh, uh, you know, uh, hard, you know, conversion of commercial vehicles, vehicles to be more electric vehicle and uh, uh, are they ready are they tested i don't know uh, and uh, another way, another aspect in the, related to transportation is the public transit right mm -hmm. uh, uh, we are investing a lot of money in public transit i think combined investment of federal provincial and municipal it'll be close to 60 billion dollars over the next decade right and how do we actually incentivize municipalities to buy more electric buses Right, or uh, or actually production of those electric mm -hmm. buses here in the in our own own country. Right, I think those are the kind of options that we can absolutely uh, open to exploring with the industry to further support. We're, we're uh, very happy to share the load, so to speak, on that sort of stuff. The uh, the, the second part is the built environment, and I think yeah. one of the really interesting things about Budget 2019, and this speaks to your your former life as well was a commitment of a substantial amount of money, a billion dollars, to uh, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities to work with cities to find ways of, of making the, the built environment more effective, whether it's uh, you know, putting solar panels on the top of, of houses or retrofitting buildings. Where, where do buildings fit in? That seems to be a much harder problem. People change their car every few years, and you know, buses get cycled out, but buildings last decades. Well, when you look at the, where the emissions mm -hmm. come from, buildings uh, are a big contributor to, uh, uh, to emissions. Uh, so energy efficiency is, uh, is, uh, is very important. I think uh, when you look at uh, our climate change plan, uh, total emissions for reductions can come from, 25% of that can come from energy retrofits and mm -hmm. uh, energy efficiency. So I, we see a lot of potential in that. That's why uh, we were able, we, in Budget 2019, we announced uh, more than a billion dollars uh, that we will make available to the Federation of Canadian Municipalities that they can work with uh, their member uh, municipalities to give them the necessary support for energy retrofits. And it's flexible as well, because every municipality may have a different approach to uh, support homeowners or, uh, or their commercial uh, uh, buildings and uh, or, or their own fleet, for mm -hmm. example. Right. So uh, I think that that funding has been um, 
made available to the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, uh, and we see uh, uh, I, we see the potential within that within that framework. And let's go back to people for a second. We're as a sector are a little unusual in that we would be quite happy for our customers to use less of our product. Uh, but we're, we're, what's the next step for people as they look to, uh, you know, save a little money on electricity, but also help, uh, you know, reduce some of these emissions and and save power for other uses. Well, I think as you mentioned, energy retrofits are are big savers. And uh, another, I think another potential partnership that I want to talk about that that you can explore. When we were setting up our Canada Infrastructure Bank uh, in 2016 and 2017, uh, we actually did engage with your industry mm -hmm. in the setting of the bank. Uh, and we see the potential for us to mobilize private capital uh, through the Canada Infrastructure Bank to encourage more uh, investment into energy efficiency. And, and retrofits, but also interdies, right? That's another potential because each province, you know the way the utilities are structured, right? They're very complex and very, very different from province to province, and, uh, and sometimes they work in isolation, right? Uh, sometimes electricity is generated where uh, it's, it's an access supply, but somewhere else is needed, but connections don't exist, right? I think uh, so those inter interprovincial interdies in the transmission sector, we also see the potential where we can work with industry through the Canada Infrastructure Bank to support those. And that was also a topic of a discussion at the, uh, at the first minister's meeting in December uh, when prime minister and, and uh, premiers met. Yeah, um, we have, I have one more question for you and then we'll, we have time, I think, for one from the floor. Um, so this, our, our president, uh, Francis Bradley, has a, a podcast and one of the questions, and this will be shared on that, but one of the questions he always asks people is, uh, what, are, what, what's, what are you reading right now? What book is on your nightstand or in your briefcase for when you have a couple of spare minutes to, to, to read about something other than work? What, what's, what are you looking at well, right now? Uh, I, you know, I was, uh, I didn't expect this question, but uh, the, uh, I was in, as I said, I was in BC last week, and we spent the last two days, Thursday and Friday, engaging with the indigenous communities mm -hmm. in, on a project that I'm working very, very hard to fix and get the process right, is the Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion Project, right? And we were there, and uh, I was presented with the book from the community. It's, it's uh, on the on the the culture of Stolo people, mm -hmm. right? And it's seen through the eyes of a nine-year-old uh, girl, and how she's connecting with her heritage and okay. her culture. And so that's the book I actually started reading yesterday, oh, right? Wow. On the on my <laughs> on my way. Uh, on sorry, on Sunday when I, I was start flying back from uh, Edmonton to. Uh, Ottawa. It's, it's a very interesting, uh, I think it really allow you to appreciate, uh, uh, like we talk about diversity in the, in the present context, and our country is very diverse, but we sometimes don't uh, appreciate as much how much diversity actually existed and still exists among indigenous communities. And uh, it's, it's a quite an enlightening, very light read as well, so yeah. yeah. So we do have a little more time. Uh, question from the audience. 
You ask all the questions. They don't have any yeah. questions. Well, let's talk a little more about electrification. <laughs> um, the, for, you mentioned the first minister's meeting, which I, uh, you know, I've read a lot of these uh, FPT joint communiques, yeah. and uh, I think if you get the 13 premiers and the, the prime minister in a room, they have a hard time ordering pizza right now. And so it was, was pretty shocked to see a pretty clear commitment to electrification. Uh, so, so what's the next step in that? What's, where, where are things and where are they going? So I think uh, the way to implement that is uh, look at regional opportunities, right? Uh, and, uh, and pick some examples that are can can be easily implemented so in a, in in atlantic provinces uh, under the atlantic growth strategy uh, that's is being explored actually how all atlantic provinces can come together to connect uh, to a, to the clean electricity uh, uh, system right uh, so i think showing by example mm -hmm. and then implementing those then i think others see the uh, See the results, and I did. And we were so we'll we'll pursue we'll pursue localized localized communities. I think also we need to see energy in a in a, in an interconnected way. Uh, uh, you know, we we committed to meeting our Paris commitments, and we have to do this. We, as a as a country, we need to do our part, and other countries are doing their part. So how do we? use clean electricity to help us reduce emissions in other sectors, right? I think that's where more work needs to be done to explore options because collectively we have made a commitment and collectively we need to play a role and we need to continue to grow our economy, create, uh, create jobs, and I think we can do both at the same time. Uh, so, you know, it, so if you, if there's a potential for electrification of uh, existing facilities and existing processes, then we should be working toward achieving those. Great. Devin. Hi, Mr. Uh, Devin McCarthy with Sussex Strategy Group. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, I mean, these are heady days in Ottawa, two to three weeks out from, from the House rising uh, and moving into the pre-election period. You're the uh, third person to remind me this election coming up, right? <laughs> I can imagine. David, it's just, it's just, Michael, then you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I did hear this morning um, that one minister, not, not yourself, and I won't use the pronoun, but told their staff that the next month will be one of the most intense uh, in their professional lives. There's still a lot for the government to land. Um, so I'm just wondering, uh, from your perspective, what, what's at the top of your agenda over the next month? What are some of the things that, that you're really focused on, on landing um, to, to leave your portfolio in the best position possible heading into the upcoming election? I think uh, building on uh, what we were able to do last week in uh, British Columbia, uh, making sure that, uh, that our, our communities and our investors and people business in the in the business understand that uh, the uh, the uh, energy mix that we have in mind and we've been talking about includes all forms of energy and, and uh, it, it 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 does not exclude uh, a, a any form of energy i think giving that kind of certainty and predictability uh, is important there are few projects that i'm working on and one of the thing i one of them one of them i actually briefly mentioned on is uh, is uh, concluding our uh, 
meaningful engagement and consultation process with indigenous communities on the uh, on the trans mountain pipeline expansion projects so so that's a lot it's it's i i would say i have if, if there's a project i have lost most sleep on is is that project because uh, you know i think our relationship with indigenous communities is, is is in some cases so much damaged that takes so much time to repair that but we are committed to do, doing so and so that's that's one uh, one one project uh, then there's another project related to manitoba that we're working on uh, which is the uh, which I'm pretty sure all of you are interested in is the uh, the uh, Manitoba Minnesota transmission uh, 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 connection. Uh, there are some issues with the, with with the proponent and the and the province and the indigenous communities uh, that we are trying to land to the right place. Uh, so those are the two immediate uh, uh, issues I would uh, uh, I would say. Uh, and uh, then there are some couple of legislations, Bill C69. Uh, I'm pretty sure all of you are. Uh, familiar yeah, with right? No, you haven't heard about that at all, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, 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 I don't know. You guys know what Bill C six nine, right? Uh, I, I think that's another piece of legislation that we're trying to land uh, before we uh, conclude the uh, conclude the session. So, yeah. Let me ask the election question in a different way. Uh, this isn't your first foray into election elected life. You were a city councilor for uh, some time before, which is a, a very different environment than uh, you know, having to fly to Ottawa and sit in front of a room of people like this. What's, what's one thing you've learned in, about the difference between uh, the, about elected life now as a, as a federal leader as opposed to one at a more local level? Well, I would say the, uh, at a local level, uh, you, uh, like in, in my province, uh, the way the municipalities are structured, they are not affiliated with any political party. Mm -hmm. right? We are all independent, uh, working on our own. So I think that flexibility uh, uh, is, uh, is very valuable at, uh, at a local level. At a federal level, it's a different setting because you're working within the confines of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, you know, uh, a partisan setting, right? So I think that's the that's the biggest difference I have noticed in uh, uh, in, in the change from municipal to uh, to uh, to federal. But at the end of the day, you're serving people, right? You're here to make a difference, and you try to do your best. Nobody's perfect, right? Uh, and we all make mistakes, uh, and you acknowledge your mistakes and be honest and upfront with your constituents, and uh, give your 100%. And uh, then people will decide if they like you, they'll elect you back in. If they don't like you and they're not satisfied with your performance, then the people have other choices that they would uh, would make, right? I, 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 you know, I grew up in a in an atmosphere where democracies are not as appreciated, right? Uh, I can tell you how lucky we are in. Yes, our democracy is not perfect, uh, but it's the best we have, right? And uh, I think we we need to appreciate that. And uh, and people like who are in the, in a position of influence and power, and uh, it's it's a privilege, right? It's not a it's not a an entitlement or anything. It's a privilege that you continue to make sure you're earning back a, again and again. And if you are unable to do so, then it's uh, it's not your electorals for uh, it's, your, it's your weaknesses or shortcomings. Yeah, that's how I see politics. Uh, Wendell. Hi, I'm Wendell Clausen from TC Energy. Thanks for joining us. Um, certainly understanding the 
the, the transition of decarbonization or to decarbonization with respect to the electrical generation. Um, as Michael had said, I mean, we're, we're transitioning over to that and we're certainly, I think, as an industry responding in, in accordance, but we have this gap now as coal is being reduced and obviously the consumption is expected to increase. Do you see uh, natural gas generation as being a part of that mix for a period of time until we get to the point of of full decarbonization, or what yeah, are your, so, what are your uh, on that? so what we uh, what, what I talked about in Vancouver uh, last week, and we've been talking about that in the past as well. There are four pillars to the energy vision that we have. One is uh, energy retro, uh, energy efficiency, absolutely important. The second one is uh, electrification, right? Absolutely important. The third one is investment in renewables, and uh, and and the fourth pillar is uh, you know uh, making sure that the oil and gas sector. Uh, 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 remains part of the mix, but at the same time reducing the intensity of emissions uh, in uh, in that sector. So we see all those four areas uh, as part of the overall plan we have, and we see oil and gas uh, continue to play uh, play a role in f for foreseeable future. But we also have an opportunity to uh, uh, to be a supplier of choice to the world, particularly in the LNG sector, because. Uh, uh, if we can supply that to a country like China or India or others who rely so much on uh, generating electricity with coal, right, and uh, and uh, and make a contribution in the reduction of global emissions, and and absolutely we uh, uh, and if there's any any fear among anyone that uh, that's not the case, uh, I um, just want to let you know that uh, we we see a lot of potential for. Uh, for Canadian oil and gas uh, uh, to be uh, uh, to be supplier of choice for people as they transition to uh, uh, more renewable energy sources. Yeah. David, did you have a question? Minister uh, Dave McKendry with the Canadian Electricity Association. You have a room full of people here from the industry. I'm curious what questions or challenges you may have for us, the industry. Oh, I just building on what we were saying earlier on the. Uh, the potential for partnership. Uh, we see there uh, areas that we can continue to uh, continue to work together on. You're the job creators in in communities, right? And uh, and we want to make sure that prosperity continues. At the same time, uh, reality is that we are transitioning. Uh, 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 and how do we make that transition uh, more responsible, responsive? Uh, to local communities and how we can work together with the EU to continue to support workers and communities at the same time meeting our international obligations. Uh, so, you know, uh, there are some challenges and I hope that we, uh, we can rely on EU for ongoing collaboration and partnership in that area. Well, Minister, thank you so much for joining us. I know, uh, as uh, Devin reminded you, it's a, a hectic time. June is always busy in Ottawa, uh, but we appreciate you joining us on uh, the beginning of National Electricity Month. We have a, a small token for you. Uh, in the fall, we launched a, a campaign to recognize uh, July 10th as National Line Worker Appreciation Day. It's uh, recognizing the men and women that, uh, you, you say the job creators, uh, but the people that actually do the work to keep the lights on uh, in often the worst weather are uh, the people 
people that we are hoping to recognize on, on July 10th moving forward. A petition was actually tabled on Friday. But we had these wonderful hats, and we hope that you can uh, bring this with you and think about our sector, but also the people, the men and women uh, across Canada that work to keep people safe and warm and uh, the power flowing. So thank you so much for joining thank us today. So thank you Ladies so much. Ladies and gentlemen, for, uh, Minister Amarjeet Sarkar. For, for, for having me, and uh, also thank you. Thank you for giving me this protective gear. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm sure it will be as cordial as, as this last hour was. So we, uh, uh, anyway, we, we do appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. So Let's give another round. Thank you. I'm Danielle Vadin. I'm a communications officer at CEA, and I helped work on the night at the museum event, which took place at the Science and Technology Museum on Monday. So we are really excited to have this event. We've never really did a kickoff to, natu to National Electricity Month that was this big. So for our event, our Emerging Issues Committee dreamt up four scenarios. So closer to home, off the grid, and large-scale renewables and power to the nation, which were different depictions about what the future of electricity is going to be like in the year 2040. So we took these scenarios and we sent them to a Ottawa author, Kate Hartfield, who wrote them into short stories. And those short stories were turned into monologues and they were performed by actors and discussed by industry experts to see where and why this fits into real life during the main presentation of the event. So we had a private reception, we welcomed industry experts, we had some of our members there, Councillor Rick Shirelli was also there, and it was a really cool location because our theme for um, National Electricity Month is The Future is Electric, and our our event took place in Artifact Alley, which was a great location because it's kind of a marriage between where we came from and where we're going in the future. And after the play presentation, we opened the From Earth to Us exhibit for private viewing and we looked around at all of the artifacts and it was a really it was a really fabulous event. I think my biggest takeaway was that um, just being on part of the the team that helped organize it. When you take something that you dream up in a boardroom and you make it digestible to the public, then you make it more memorable through storytelling, I think, especially from a communications point of view. It really helps bring home the main point of what we wanted to do with this event, which was to start a conversation with people who don't usually talk about electricity. Electricity is something you talk about when you flick on the light switch and it doesn't go on. It's not something that you usually think of being so innovative and far into the future. And how it's going to affect us. So I think it was a really, it was a really great way to marry like the left and the right brain, and um, not only communicate with people who are in our sector, but also people who didn't really know much about electricity, and we made them excited about it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Invite you to tune in for future discussions and invite you to continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.